great honor to have uh, Sheikh Akram amongst us. He's visiting from the uh, United Kingdom in the UK. Uh, the Sheikh, mashallah, is really an expert in uh, many of the fields of Islamic sciences. Uh, he's world-renowned and well-known for his uh, uh, hadith expertise. He also has published many works in usul al-fiqh and fiqh, uh, as well as he has a PhD in the Arabic language. Uh, alhamdulillah, uh, he's also uh, He's, uh, he's, been, he's spent uh, many, many years researching at, at Oxford University. Uh, he's a graduate of Nadwatul Ulama. Uh, he's uh, studied under many of uh, the great shuyukh. Uh, one of his teachers is uh, Sheikh Abu Hassan Ali Nadwi, rahimahullah, as well as many others. Uh, the Sheikh spends uh, lots of time doing research. Uh, he's also spent many, many years teaching uh, the, all these subjects, as well as the advanced levels of hadith sciences, the books of Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, uh, and, and, and many other books of hadith he's been teaching for many, many years. Uh, so we are uh, honored to have him here. Uh, he's a very unique scholar uh, with a unique background, and uh, it is a blessing. It is truly a blessing to have him uh, visiting us here in Southern California. I know you've, you haven't come to listen to me. Uh, we will have the Sheikh up here in, in just a few minutes. I wanted to introduce uh, one of the programs. The Sheikh is a co-founder of Al-Salam Institute, where he uh, teaches uh, the Islamic sciences along with other teachers. The Sheikh teaches the final years uh, of this program. Uh, we could get the next slide up, please. Thank you. Uh, so, Al Salam Institute, uh, the mission of Al Salam Institute is to deliver the authentic teachings of Islam through classical texts with a profound awareness of the modern era. The, game, the aim is to produce a new generation of leading scholars and intellectuals who are characterized by their sound knowledge and understanding of the authentic sources, independence of mind, and embodiment of prophetic value. Next slide. So, alhamdulillah, they're doing great work, uh, along with many other institutes. Uh, the, the, they have many programs ongoing at the same time. One of their programs is Islamic Scholarship Program. It's, it's their flagship part-time program that seeks to give students a chance to acquire an in-depth understanding of classical Islamic texts and methodologies, whilst also developing the critical thinking skills needed to translate theory into practice. There are short courses that they hold with other visiting scholars, as well as Sheikh Akram. There are half-day, one-day, and two-day seminars on many wide range of topics. There's also residentials, which are part of the hybrid program. So uh, when, you, when you study their flagship program, uh, they recommend that you visit over there twice a year. Uh, they, t they have trips uh, uh, to Morocco, Turkey, and different parts of the world where you can get ijazat and, and, and travel with the, with the sheikh and accompany him uh, and benefit from his company. So the, part, the, the flagship program uh, is uh, their the, the pioneering program. It's a six-year program in Islamic scholarship uh, for live attendance just one day a week, both online and on-site in London. Uh, there are many, all the courses are divided into modules. You don't have to take all of it at one time. You can go at your own pace. You can also se select individual modules to take. Uh, the pioneering program has already produced a number of graduates who now teach with the Salam Institute as course instructors. Next slide, please. So the program is divided into a foundational level, an intermediate level, and an advanced level. The foundational level is one year, uh, where you cover basic texts of all, all the Islamic sciences, and the focus is on the Arabic language. Thereafter, you go on to the intermediate level. Next slide, please. The intermediate level starts off with an Arabic immersion year, where all you do is Arabic. Uh, after the Arabic immersion year, there's two more years of intermediate sciences, where you study uh, the same subjects, but at a higher level. Uh, different, different texts, which are, which are a bit more advanced. 
Uh, so you move on to that level, and then, and then uh, next slide, which is the intermediate level, and the next slide, which is the advanced level. Alhamdulillah, the advanced level is where the sheikh uh, spends most of his time and, and, and teaches. Uh, for example, the sheikh researches throughout the week, right? So he will be researching, uh, for example, Sahih Muslim, and he's writing, he's writing a commentary on Sahih Muslim as well. So when he does his research, then he, he teaches that during, when he comes to class, he has all his research prepared, and then he teaches that uh, at al-Salam's advanced level. Next slide. They also have an Arabic summer school program where they take trips to Morocco, as I mentioned, as well as Turkey and other places. This is open to ASI students as well as others. Next slide. So alhamdulillah, this is the program. They have a table outside. If you'd like more information, do visit the table. Uh, there are pamphlets, there's details of the curriculum, what books are covered, what texts are covered. And the most amazing thing actually for us here in Corona and in Southern California is that uh, Hamza, you might be wondering, we're here, the Sheikh is in the UK, how can we actually benefit from this program? So the entire program can be completed online. That's, that's what's the amazing part for us, right? We, we can benefit from this program by completing it online. Uh, it's a high, of high quality audio, video. Uh, you can take it at your own, own pace, and then you can take the exams and move on uh, to the next years. So again, if you'd like more information, do visit uh, the table outside. And uh, with that, I'll, I will ask the Sheikh to come up and speak, inshallah. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasoolihi Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een amma ba'd Fa'udhu billahi minash shaytani rajeem Bismillahi r-Rahmani r-Rahim Qala Allah ta'ala ala lisani Yusuf alayhi salam Tawaffani musliman wa alihiqni bis salihin So my dear brothers and sisters, alhamdulillah It is a really great honor for me to be here with you this evening and to, to share some, some words of, you know, from the Quran and from the Hadith of the Prophet with you, inshallah. So I'm going to speak just for a short while, and then after that, if you have any question, uh, you know, we can, inshallah, make effort to, to answer those questions. But the first thing, actually, is we should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, you know, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has helped us uh, to be in this country, living here in, a, in a peace, when actually in the world there are many, many places where people don't have peace. So Alhamdulillah, we, ha we have peace here, and it is great favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And people here, you know, live, and they have got good income, good money, though there are people in the world, they don't have this money. And actually many of them look really, they can come to this, this country and they stay here. So Alhamdulillah, you have got this opportunity, you live here, and we should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped us to build this mosque, mashallah, great mosque, so these are our great favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he said in the Quran, Lain shakartum la nakum. If you thank me, I will increase my favors. So we always should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember really that how much favor he has done upon us. One thing we have to keep, uh, you know, remembering all the time that this religion that we follow, religion of Islam, this is not like any other religion. Like, you know, in the world there are so many religions like Hinduism, 
you know, Christianity, Judas, so many religions. And there are actually many, many details in the religion where people don't know what they mean, people don't understand anything, but still they follow because they think that they, they are in this religion, they have to follow that. But the religion of Islam is different religion. This is a religion which is based completely on ilm and aql, means on the knowledge and on the understanding. Whatever we have got in this religion, there is actually some reason behind that. There is thinking behind that. If you understand properly, then this religion will be deep in our mind and deep in our life. But the problem is many, many Muslims, they follow the details of the religion. And they don't know really what the reason behind that is. They don't, don't benefit. For example, many of us, we come to the most pray five times a day, and still we don't become nearer to Allah Taala. Many of us, we fast in the month of Ramadan every year, but still we don't learn really, any, don't, uh, don't earn any closeness to Allah Taala. We don't get taqwa, we don't get piety. So there are many details of the religion we keep following, but nothing happens. You know, Muslims live in this world, we live in this world like other people. Other people, they have problems in their family, problems between husband and wife, problems between parent and children. Same problems Muslims also have. We are Muslims, we have exactly same problems. Problems between husband and wife, problems between parent and children. So we are no, no different from the people. The only difference really is when we meet people, we say assalamu alaikum and other people say something else. But actually, if you look, see in the houses, Muslim houses are exactly same as non-Muslim houses. Muslim houses have same problems and non-Muslim has got. We don't differ anybody from, from the people. And if you read really your, you know, the foundation of your religion, then this condition does not make sense. That how Muslims and non-Muslims both, both can be the same. We have got the Quran and they don't have the Quran. People who have got Quran, their houses are same as the people who don't have the Quran. People, have the, people who have the Quran, they have same problems as those who don't have the Quran. People who have Quran, they're in their houses, same, you know, uh, disturbance, same fighting, same argument as the people who don't have the Quran. People who have the Quran in their houses, there's, you know, divorce, you know, and hatred, jealousy, in all those problems, they are exactly the same as non-Muslims. So we need to think really, that why we have this religion, why we have Quran, if Quran comes and does not change us, then what is the difference between having Quran and not having the Quran? If we believe in Allah Taala and we worship Him and we follow the true religion, and those who don't follow the true religion, we and them are the same. So what is the purpose? That what we need to think really. That what this religion is, what it can give us, and why we don't take from the religion. We have got the Quran, but what is happening that we don't benefit from the Quran. We have got the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa as the best example. But what is happening to us that we don't take any lesson from this best example. We have got the history of Prophets and Messengers, Ibrahim alayhi Musa alayhi Isa alayhi Maryam alayhi We have got the best companions of the Prophet sallallahu Abu Bakr Siddiq, Umar al-Farooq, Uthman, Ali, Aisha, Khadija, Fatima. But we don't take any lesson from these people. What has gone wrong? Reason really is we don't learn. We don't, make, don't, we don't make any effort to understand what this religion is. We don't make effort to learn what the Quran is. We don't make effort to understand what Sunnah of the Prophet is. We don't make effort to learn how Ibrahim, how Musa, how Muhammad, 
their biographies are different from, you know, from, from rest of the people who don't take lesson from them. Why actually is happening that when we become angry, we behave same same way as those who are not Muslims? Why we don't learn how to be patient? Why at least when the Quran says, Quran keeps commanding the believers, be patient. Quran keeps saying all the time, was meru, do sabr, but we don't have sabr. So, you know, this thing you need to think really, because I mentioned this religion is based on the knowledge and on the thinking. So what has gone wrong that after the Quran and after the Prophet still we people are not different from those who don't have any Quran and those who don't who are not Muslims. If we think, then it will improve us. It will make us near to Allah It can improve our conditions. Yani Muslim family should be a family that none Muslims, when they see us, they say, oh, okay, Muslims live so nicely in such a peace, husband, wife, parent, and children. You know, if we become like them, our family also can be in the same peace. Muslims are so happy. If we become Muslim, we become happy same way. But that's not the case. People before us, those who understood this religion properly and learned properly, their life was so different from us. Then when we learn their stories, we can't believe in them. Actually, I'll mention a few stories. You can see really that those characters, those manners, now nowhere you know, found any, a, 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 among the Muslim community. I mentioned one story from India. In India, there is a town, Bilgaram. This town is near Lucknow. This town has been town of the Muslim nobles for a long, long time. There have been many ulama, many scholars, many noble people. And the town has been ruled by Muslims for a long, long time. Even actually during, during British rule, the town has, you know, one of the Muslim rulers. In this town, there have been many good teachers. One of them was, his name was Mir Mubarak Bilgarami. Mir Mubarak Bilgarami, rahimullah ta'ala. He was the teacher of the noble of the town and the whole family. One day he was doing Udu, and while doing Udu, he fell down. So the son of the noble of the town, son of the Nawab, was a student of the Shaykh. When he saw his Shaykh fell down, he came to the Shaykh, helped him, until the sheikh came to consciousness and he was fine. Then the sheikh said to, the, to his student, who was the noble, sheikh said to him, it is three days since I did not have any food. For three days, I did not have any food and that is the reason I became so weak, I fell down. The son of the nawab, the son of the noble, felt actually very bad that, you know, he is my teacher and I am a rich man, noble man of the, of the town and my teacher did not have food for three days. So he went to his house arranged the food, you know, so many different, different types of food he brought, you know, in, in, uh, in, uh, you know, in different plates uh, to the teacher so he can eat. The teacher became very happy and made a lot, lot of dua for him that, you know, how nice you are and how good you are. Then the teacher said, my way has been that we people don't eat when the desire comes. When you left me, it came to my heart that you have gone to your house to bring the food. When the desire comes, when the greed comes, when you look for something, then we don't accept that thing. Since you left for your house and I, I thought you are going to bring food for me, now this food I can't eat. We don't eat when the desire comes. Then the Nawab, a noble man, he was a his teacher. He knew really what his teacher meant. He did not insist. He took the food and went back home. Then again he came to the Shaykh with the same food. 
and ask the sheikh tell me when i left you did you expect me to come back the teacher said no i did not expect that you are going to come back the teacher said now the student said now the food has come to you without any expectation and without any greed now you can eat it then the teacher became happy and he ate it same food came just think is it possible for us to do like that after three days of hunger can we be so patient is it possible for us when food comes we are so greedy and we just just want to eat any amount of the food can we expect can we really wait for such a long period can this happen for us we don't have this thing you know this control of the desire this control of the you know control of the anger we don't learn we never learn sabr we never learn patience we never learn really when people become angry how they have to control themselves we never learn when we become hungry how to control our desire the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to be hungry for many days but you know control the desire so strong his wives used to be hungry but they control the desire there used to be problems in the house but people used to be patient so why is it that you know these people they they aren't all those good qualities but we don't have this thing in the word the part of the problem we need to learn and actually i'll mention another story which also can help really that how these people they make effort to purify their heart to clean their heart to be as good as possible to so i mention actually another story which can help you the story is from very early time uh, in madina munawwara the story is amazing story these stories will tell you really that what those people have been in our modern culture in our time we don't have a story like that they never come here because the way we have made our life it is so different we never learn those those important human qualities the story is one of from one of the greatest scholars of islam his name is muhammad ibn umar al waqidi rahimahullah taala he had mentioned his story he was scholar he was a qadi as well as judge and a big scholar in madina munawwara he mentioned that in at the end of ramadan my wife asked me that you are an alim a scholar you don't have money and now eid has come the children of the of the neighborhood they will have nice clothes nice food and my children they have no no clothes nothing they will cry they will cry, crying they will be weeping and you don't have any money if you can borrow some money from someone to at least we can make some good good clothes for the children to they be happy with other children to waqidi said actually it came to my mind and no i realized really that i should do something so i went to, to one of my friend he was a hashmi from banu hashim and i asked him that you know tomorrow the eid i don't have any money and i want to make some clothes for my children can i borrow some money from you to my hashmi friend said yes and he then he brought to me a sack full of golden dinar sealed did not he did not open he said okay take the whole sack and spend on your family i brought the sack to my house and gave to my wife this actually so many so much money it will be enough for for us for eid then somebody knocked on my door i opened the door this was another my friend he said to me tomorrow is eid and i don't have any money and children actually don't have clothes can i borrow some money from you 
so I can make clothes for my children. I was happy because I have got so much money anyway. So I came to my wife and I said, this my friend has come. He does not have any money and he wants to borrow some money for his children, for, for his family. So we can divide the money in half and half I can keep and half I can give to him. So he said, my wife said to me, you are very miser, you know, you, you are a mean person. Your other friend Hashmi, he gave you the whole sack. Now this friend came, you going to give him half? Why don't you give him the whole thing? Then I got the whole money, the full sack, and got and took it to my this new friend. When he saw the sack full of the dinar and it's sealed, he asked him, "Can you tell me where did you get this money from?" Waqtis, I got this money from my Hashmi friend. He gave me, and I, before opening, you came, I gave to you. So this friend said, "This money was my money. This my money." And this Hashmi friend came to me and asked me that tomorrow Eid, I don't have money. And you want to borrow? I gave him the whole thing. And then you went to him and he gave to you. And now I came to you and you gave the whole thing to me. Tell me, can this happen in our society? Is it possible something like that? It's impossible. This is the religion who produce, which produces people like that. We have the same religion, but we are nowhere nearer to something like that. Then the friends, they divide the money in three parts and each one of them has some money and they spend money and become happy. The news came to Mamun Rashid, the Basir Caliph. Then he invited Waqidi and asked him to repeat the story to him. Mamun became very happy that in his kingdom there are people who are so generous. So then Mamun said to him, here is 1,000 dinar, dinar is golden money. One dinar can be enough for a family for a month. Here is 1,000 dinar, this is for your Hashmi friend as a gift, because he's so, so generous. Then this another 1,000 dinar, this is for your another friend. And this another 1,000 dinar, this is Uwakdi for you. And here is 2,000 dinars, it is for your wife, because she was more generous than you. So, you know, this thing, these stories happen in this religion. Now, you know, when actually in England and also in this country, all the time we keep hearing the relation between husband and wife is not good. The relation between parents and the children is not good. Relation between Muslims and Muslims are not good. Relation between people and the neighbors are not good. What has gone wrong really? It means our hearts are not clean. We have got jealousy, we have got hatred, we have got love of the money. If you read the Quran, it is such a great book. Quran keeps reminding you that Muslims really should look, uh, look forward for the day hereafter. This world, you earn money, you spend money, it should not be your end. Quran keeps reminding you that the real life is the hereafter. Quran says, The next life is better for you from this life. Quran says, You prefer this world, while the next world is better for you. If you read the book of Allah, it's such a book of guidance. It teaches you the reality of the life. In this world, certainly you are money. You eat and drink. You have got houses. But Quran keeps reminding the life on the face of the earth is very temporary. You have money, but don't love the money. You can build houses, but don't love the house. You know, you can have family, but don't prefer yourself with other members of the family. Prefer their needs over your own need. Love them. Have ethar. Then the people will have good relation. Everybody will love each other. Now in the houses, what we have got? Competition. Husband and wife both are competing. Husband was, you know, he has his own career and wife has something else. Both are in competition. This competition has destroyed the family. 
destroy the society when everybody competes and to show that they are better than the other competition will make problem for everybody allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you read the quran book of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is very clear he did not he did not build he did not make really this life based on competition no allah never made like that he never commanded people to compete each other in this life we are never have been allowed to compete competition is not human nature competition actually is not the norm for this life competition not command of allah allah never commanded people to compete each other in this world no never never quran has made very clear the only good foundation to live in this world together is only one foundation and that is what cooperation the own in this world everybody needs to cooperate each other you are my brother you want to be good i want to help you you help me and i help you you live this world you have little money you don't have enough resources and i have more resources i should help you you help me i help you you have little knowledge i have more knowledge i should make effort to help you to support you in my wife she think my husband actually earns money goes outside he spends so much time i should help him i should support him i should cooperate with him and i think my wife she look after children look after the house she spends so much time let me do something for her i should support her i make cooperation that how allah has made the world and that how things used to be in the past and that how the quran make very clear quran said wa ta'awanu ala al-birri wa taqwa everybody should help each other there should be cooperation on the matter of the birr and taqwa in the obedience of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quran keeps making but we feel what do we want to make the life best on takasu on competition on race everybody competes the quran says alhaqum at-takathur hatta zurtumul maqabir this takathur race competition has actually destroyed everybody this is not how this thing is this religion teaches people to make cooperation to help each other it is something muslims can make a contribution in the society where they live we live in the west and actually western system in economics in politics in every single thing is based on competition every that actually how everything best in the business any in any field the thing is to compete each other and that why you can see jealousy greed hatred it is actually normal in the society because when you compete everybody you will be jealous you will hate everybody you want actually to show that you are better than other people but when the cooperation comes you think really how can i help my brother and how can i support them how can i make make them you know like myself to so my brother sister this religion really we need to understand this religion has come to save us from the problem this religion has come to save us from the hellfire this religion has come to help us save us from the failure of this world and from the failure of the hereafter we need to learn that if we have a religion and it does not help us it means there's something wrong we don't understand the religion we don't don't make effort to to make the sense of the religion and the sense of the teachings of the of the religion you know and when you see really then you understand really in this world whatever we have got it is very temporary the real success is the success of the day of judgment quran said fa man zuhsiha anin nar wa udkhila al jannata faqad faz those people who have been removed and saved from the hellfire and they have been made to enter to paradise they are the people of the success they are successful people in this world we make money earn money but real actually aim should be that how i can get paradise how can earn paradise quran mentioned in surah yusuf the story of yusuf al-islam a man 
who has got everything that we look forward you know each one of men or women they want to be as handsome as as beautiful as possible in this world nobody has been more beautiful than yusuf al islam yusuf al islam was the most beautiful person in in the universe most beautiful person in this world people also want to get the knowledge best knowledge yusuf al islam actually had more knowledge than anybody else not only the knowledge of this worldly matter he even could interpret the meaning of the dream you know such a deep knowledge yusuf everybody in this world to have more money yusuf al islam got the treasure of of egypt the whole treasure and egypt was the richest country on the face of that in that time he got the treasure of the egypt everybody want to be high position yusuf al islam became like king of egypt so you know in this world people want to have beauty people want to have money people want to have position they want this thing yusuf al islam got everything he got money he got position he got beauty he got all the good things but what happening is he said to his lord oh my lord rabb qad ataitani min al mulk oh my lord you have given me the kingdom wa allamtani min ta'wil al hadith and you gave me the knowledge of the dream how to interpret the dream but i am not happy with that i am not content with that i want something else what i want rabb tawaffani tawaffani musliman wa alhaqni bis salihin after all this success yusuf al islam wants something more than that he has part to something else and actually what his ambition is that he get the success in that hereafter to my brother and sister this book really has come to give people the eternal life the real success in the day of judgment in the hereafter to give you paradise that how we need to learn the religion that how we need to study the quran that we that how we need really to study the lives of the prophets and messengers the life of bakr siddiq umar al farooq uthman ali aisha and fatima if we get that then many problems from our life will finish really our ambition will be how i can get success the day of judgment this hatred jealousy competition many of those things they become actually weaker they will not be so strong so alhamdulillah but actually i i you know i don't want to speak you know very long speech you know simple matter really that we need to understand this religion is based on the knowledge and on the thinking if you follow the religion without understanding and without the thinking then you don't get any fruit from the religion our life will be no more different from the life of those people who don't have this religion and we can see all the time really at the moment life of muslims is nowhere different from the life of non muslims and the reason is we really don't know what this religion means we never know really what revelation means we don't know what quran means we don't know what sunna means we don't know what the sirat parsar sir means that what we need really we need to think we need to come back we need to understand we need to study the quran properly we need to make sense really what allah is teaching we need to make sense really how we can derive the knowledge and how can we can get inspiration from sira from from the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam from the life of the companions then this study this understanding will make our life more successful much much better it actually can help us and our family it will help actually help the people around us they can get inspiration from us they would love to become like us as it was in the time the prophet companions that non muslims when they look at them they wanted to become like them so this actually what we need to do is spend time 
learn Arabic language. If you have time to learn Arabic language, if your children actually they, you know, they are at that age, make effort that they learn this language, they study the Quran, they get the good teachers, the good and good understanding of the Quran, Sunnah of the Prophet depth in the knowledge, change the life, they can change the society, then something will be different really. Otherwise, when religion becomes a culture, it becomes a dead. And at the moment, Islamic religion, Muslim religion, in our society is no more than a culture. It is just a dead real, something dead. It does not make any difference. People come for the prayer. You know, one prayer should be able to change us so much. But we come for five prayers, nothing happens. Ramadan, month of Ramadan keeps coming and going. It does not change us anywhere. Our akhlaq, our manners remain as it has been before. Reason is because we don't know what we're doing. Somebody came to Jafar Sadiq, and he said to him, why is it that we make dua when nothing happens? He said, the reason is you don't know who you are asking. If we read Quran, I don't know what it means really. If we keep reading Quran, nothing will happen. If we pray and we don't know what prayer means, we'll keep praying, nothing will happen. If we, keep, we fast, if we don't know what fasting means, we'll keep fasting, nothing will happen. Nothing, no change will come. Before you fast, you need to know what fasting means. Before you pray, you need to learn really what prayer means and how it can make a change. Before you marry, you need to learn what marriage means in Islam and how it can change the people. If we don't learn really, then marriage will have no meaning for us and people will marry and the problem will remain in the society. So anyway, I stop it here. If you have any question, please ask. Um, so we'll do a Q&A right now. Um, we can do it two ways. If anybody has a question that they want to ask on the microphone, I'll pass it on, brother or sister. If you'd rather just write it down on a piece of paper, I can give you a flashcard and I can read out the question to the Sheikh. Um, also, I know there was such a short talk and um, Sheikh covered a lot of topics and I'm sure you'll hear a lot, hear a lot in the Q&A. Um, Sheikh does discuss a lot of these different issues in articles. Um, you may have come across them on WhatsApp or Facebook or emails. Um, so I have a email sheet if you'd like to keep in touch and we can share um, different information about Sheikh's writings and how he addresses certain topics. Uh, that's a good way to keep in touch afterwards. Um, I'll start with sisters. First question. If you want to get a flashcard, I can pass one on to you as well. Brothers? Okay, one sec. Assalamu alaikum, jazakallah khair. You talked about uh, competition and how do you explain wafi dhalika falyatanafasil mutanafisun? So as I mentioned in this religion really, and that way Allah SWT has made the world. The world is not based on competition, it is based on what? Cooperation. Quran SWT help each other, support each other. But in modern time what happens to is everything has been changed. You know, every single thing, just everybody wants to compete. Competition, competition, and because of the competition, greed, hatred, jealousy, and the society has been destroyed. So then what it means when the Quran says, What Zalika means? It refers really, if competition happens, it should happen in cooperation. I should think, you know, this is my brother. 
he helps me so much he's so sincere i should be more sincere than him this is my wife she helps me she looks after me you know she does everything for my family i should do more than her so the competition should be in the cooperation competition should be in the good things competition should be to helping each other competition should be in the more prayer competition should be in more fasting competition should be this you you are generous i should be more generous than you you help with your neighbors i should be helping my neighbors more than you that what tanafus means when quran to fi zalika fal yatanafasil mutanafisun meaning people should compete in the good matters they should compete in ta'awun you know in in, in cooperation so when people compete each other in the worldly matters to make more more money that actually what critical critical problem when people actually husband why both want to have better career in this world then no of the none of them are thinking about the family everybody should they become individual so this actually what makes the problem in the society that everybody no people can see with their eyes the real problem of the society is this competition that what quran said alhaakum at-takathur hatta zurtum al-maqabir and if you look really this verse really like 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 miracle that is, this is the real problem of the society this takathur this competition to so your right quran so fi dhalika fa litanafasil mutanafisun but this tanafus min tanafus fi ta'awun yani muslim should compete each other but in cooperation helping each other being nice more generous much better than other people next question Assalamu alaikum. Um, when, when we are we're like born Muslims and we are taught from childhood, you know, what salah means, you have to pray, and what psalm means, you're, you know, you're supposed to feel what the other person feels. When you say we really have to know what it means, what do you mean by the essence of psalm and salah and all of that, and how do we learn that? Yeah, you know, this is actually very important to understand that when Allah subhanahu commanded you something, there's a wisdom behind Allah Subhanahu does not want to make you to have burden. He does not enjoy your suffering. So whenever he commanded, commanded to do the prayers, or fasting, or zakat, or hajj, all these commands are to improve us, to make us better human beings. So we should think really that you know, we do so much, but nothing happens. If you look in the Quran, Quran mentions the stories of the people who used to have prayer like us, but those prayers changed them. They become something else. Maryam alayhi salam, she used to pray, and we also pray. Quran has mentioned the story of Maryam alayhi salam, that how she used to pray, and her prayer was so sincere, so pure, even the angels used to talk her in the prayer. That the prayer was so pure. Angels come to her and talk to her. Because the prayer, her prayer of Maryam alayhi salam, as Quran mentioned, Allah said to Maryam alayhi salam, Ya Maryamu, uqnutir rabbiki, wasjudi, O Maryam, when you stand on the prayer, stand in front of me with calmness, with humility, and do sajda and ruku for me. When you stand the prayer, we never think really we are standing in front of our Lord. It never comes, our mind goes everywhere. But if we know really we are standing in front of Allah, it will change our life. Quran says, We learn how many further are in the prayer, how many sunnah. But we don't know the real for. Real for this, when people stand the prayer, they should khushu, humility, fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They should actually be scared in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the prayer will change. 
So many, many things in the religion we, choose, we do really, but we never think the meaning. People fast in the month of Ramadan, but they keep doing all the sins that they have been doing before Ramadan. Cheating, lying, backbiting, dishonesty, hurting people, harming people. We keep doing all the, uh, all the time the same thing. Even basic things, actually, we don't learn what they mean. I've seen really many people who say, Inshallah, when I ask them, what do you mean? They have no idea what Inshallah means. And that's why you can see some people in the same centers, they use Inshallah twice or three times. You don't need to say twice or three times. You just need to say words, but in right place. So sometimes we keep making same dua so many times. Actually, you can see there have been culture now in Muslim world. So many, really. People in Ramadan, they make very long dua, half an hour in dua. They do with and very, very long dua. This never has been a sunnah of the prophets and messengers. If you look in the Quran, Musa al-Islam come to Madian, very short, short, very small dua. What he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh my Lord, Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khairin faqir. Oh my Lord, any good that you sent to me, I need it. Simple sentence. Then what happens? Then he got everything. Musa al-Islam came to Madian, he has no family, nowhere to go, no house, no wife, no money, no source of the income. This one sentence, oh my Lord, any good sent to me, I need it. This one sentence gave him everything. He got a wife, he got a house, he got a job, he got money. This one sentence. And we keep, we keep making so much dua, nothing happens. Because we really don't know what, what these sentences mean. We don't know what dua means. Duas of the prophets in the Quran are very, very short. Our duas are so long. And we keep making the same dua again and again. Allah never said that you need to ask me again and again. He's more generous. You ask him once and he will give more than that. But why is it happening that we ask him so many times and nothing happens? Reason is we never learn really how to ask him. And what is the right way? So you know, you are right really. We need to learn this thing. We need to know our Lord, who he is. We need to know who we are. And we need to know what should be our relation to him. We need to learn this from Quran. We need to learn this thing from the biographies of the prophets and messengers. Then you see, really, the life will change. But it, it needs learning. It needs understanding and thinking. And this religion, as I mentioned, is based on the knowledge and the ilm and on the art. Next question, uh, brothers. I have a question from sisters as well. Any brothers? So I'll ask one on behalf of brothers. Okay. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Jazakumullah khair for the great lecture. And uh, my question is a little bit off topic, but could I ask it? Uh, I really wanted to know your opinion regarding the deeds of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about the end times or the Qiyamah. And how do you interpret that in regards to the situations in Syria and Arab world? Uh, I really wanted to know that. I didn't understand the question. What? So I don't understand what the connection between the end of the day and between Syria and Iraq. I didn't understand the connection. So, so one of the uh, in that hadith, as much as I know, uh, one of the signs of the Qiyamah is that uh, Bedouins or Arab people will compete in building tall buildings. Uh, so, is it really happening now, or is it? How how do you interpret that? You know, one thing actually we should know really, when the prophets and messengers come, and they teach people. So when you learn prophets and don't come to this world to make people prophets. Quran never came to this world to you learn Quran, you become a prophet. 
Prophet Muhammad sallallahu did not come to this world that we learn his sunnah and sirah to become prophets. Prophets only come for one purpose, to make people followers of the prophets. Quran has not come to make you prophet. Quran has come to make you follower of the Prophet So when the prophets and messengers mention something about the future, the intention is not that you learn those prophecies, and now you start telling people when this prophecy is going to happen, and now you tell people, then everybody comes and says, oh, this person has got such a deep knowledge of the prophecies, he can say the time. This is never, never have been purpose. This is one thing really where everybody has gone wrong. All the time people keep saying that when Mahdi is going to come, when the Jal is going to come, and this battle happening in Syria, it means end of the time, and this thing happened in Turkey, it means something like that. Nobody has got any authority to interpret the prophecies of the Prophet Prophecies don't give you authority to interpret them. They are not there to make you profit. The purpose of the prophecy is something else. But so many people keep doing, and I have no really, for a long, long time, so many times the people said, Mahdi will come in this year, that year came, Mahdi never came. I was once in actually Malaysia, somebody was saying, the alim there, Mahdi will come in Malaysia. But he did not come there. I was once in Syria in 2005, and was attending the class of one of the sheikh, and the sheikh said in the class, this year, in the month of Muharram, Mahdi will come. And I was writing my travel journey, so I wrote down the Sheikh said, this year Mahdi will come after Muharram. When I completed my book, I sent to him that, you know, look in the book. So his Sheikh said to me, can you remove this sentence from the book? So I said, you are the one who said this thing. That ma to many Muharram came, nothing happened. So this is not right way. The way is, we should obey Allah's messenger. The purpose of this prophecy is not that we interpret when they're going to happen. The purpose really is that you should know really that Allah wants us to be his celest, don't lose the hope. One day it will happen, Islam again become dominant. If you see Muslims are weak, Muslims don't lose the hope. Because the, the Prophet has mentioned one time will come, Isa Islam will come, then Muslims again get the power. So this certainly is going to happen. So whatever defeat Muslims get, whatever happens, never lose the hope. The purpose of the prophecy is that Muslims should never lose the hope. The purpose never has been that somebody like me comes and interprets when this will happen. Nobody can know. And if I tell you, Allah certainly will show you and me that I'm a liar. Because nobody knows. Nobody knows this will happen. Even the professor never knew when it's going to happen. He only told people what Allah told him. But he does not know the dates. When he's mentioned to the people when Dajjal is going to come, he never knew when Dajjal is going to come. A boy was born in Jewish family, Ibn Sayyad. The professor was thinking he must be Dajjal. But he did not know. So even the Prophet did not know. Nobody knows when this thing, only Allah knows. You know, when Angel Jibreel came to Prophet and asked him when the Qiyamah will happen. So the Prophet said to him, Mal mas'ulu anha al-sail. The person who has been asked about this, he does not know more than the one who asked the question. Nobody knows. These things are secrets only Allah knows. That's why those people who want to interpret the prophecies, they are wrong. We never should make effort like that. Simple matter is, let's see really what we can do. To learn the prayer, learn the religion, obey Allah before we die. La tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. And, you know, we should make effort to be Muslim until we die. Sisters. Uh, Sheikh, is it okay if I ask a question that is off topic for today, but perhaps relates to the topic on muhaddithat that you taught a few days ago? 
Jazakallah khairan. Um, so I wanted to ask you if you have come across in your study of the lives of the muhaddithat um, any instances of uh, issues like divorce or uh, other problems they had in their marriages and if you could share with us any lessons that we could take from, from their experiences that we could apply for us today. Yeah, you know, uh, these women, you know, I wrote, you know, some of people don't know it, so I wrote actually a very long book uh, about the biographies of the women uh, who actually made a contribution in the field of the Hadith sciences, in the field of the teaching of Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I, I nearly gathered uh, biographies of uh, uh, more than 9,000 women. So these women, you know, people will think that they are great muhaddatha and expert of the hadith and scientists and teachers are learning. So you know, their life will be in this world much more different from us. This is not true really. They exactly used to have same problems like us. But they knew really how to deal with the problems. They, to, they, they did not complain. Among all these muhaddatha and women whose biography I wrote, None of them I found them complaining. They don't have complaint. In our time, I've seen really all the time many women both keep complaining all the time that I have men complain about, about their wives and wives complain about their, their, their husbands. Everybody keeps complaining. These women, they have divorce happen, sometimes problem happen in the family, and sometimes, sometimes I can see that they are in, the, in my book, there are documents prepared by the men and women both about the divorce. Divorce is happening, problems happening, but it's still. You know, with all those problems, they still they carry, carry on their lives. You know, they manage everything properly. Reason is because they believe that this world will have problem. You know, this world is not, if you think really to live in this world a life where there's no problem, you will fail. Because this world will have problem. That's why Allah Swt never teaches in the Quran, seek a life free of problem. He never said. What he teaches you? He said, Ya amanu ista'inu Meaning in the life you must have problem to learn how to deal with the problems. And dealing with the problem is two things, sabr and salah. There are the certainly we will test you. Test will come, hardship will come, problem will come, many problems will come. So the way is not to seek a life free of the problem. This never happened. Actually, the way people live in modern time, they want to seek a life where there is no problem. Men and women both want to have marriage life with no problem. So they have a dream of ideal family. They study, they get degree, all those things, they get job, and that is now going to marry, then we live a life with no problem. This never can happen. It's impossible. If you dream like that, certainly you're going to fail. Nobody can guarantee for you a life free of problem. Because the creator and the master of the world, he made the life full of the problem. Because he wants to test the people. So these women, they knew problem will happen. So they learn how to deal with the problem. So they learn really how to do sabr. People like Yaqub al-Islam, messenger, problem. Yusuf al-Islam, so many problems. Ibrahim al-Islam, so many problems. His father actually sacked him from the house. No house. Every prophet, messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa such a great man, so many problems. A life free of the problem cannot exist in this world. It's impossible. This dream, like you have American dream, so American dream can happen in mind, but it does not have reality. In reality, this word does not exist. Everybody in America, if you see the richest person, has problem. Every, actually, people who are richest, sometimes they commit suicide. The problem is so deep, they commit suicide. So these women, they knew really, they can't have a life free of the problem. So what they learned, they learned how to 
face the problem. And the only way to face the problem is sabr. That's why Quran all the time keeps saying, learn how to be patient. If you have poverty, learn how to deal with the poverty. If you have anger, control your anger. If people don't behave properly with you, you be nice to them. Your husband is not kind to you, you be kind to him. When you're kind to him, Allah will reward you. So this is how these women done. Otherwise, if you look at their life, there have been so many problems. But still, yet they managed to raise the family, managed to live nicely, no complaint. And beside that, they used to teach. Some of these women used to teach actually 10 hours, 6 hours, 8 hours, sometimes since morning until evening. Though house had a problem, still they managed to teach because they knew really how to do sabr and how to be patient. And um, just to add to that before the next question, so the muhaddithat is actually 43 volumes that the Sheikh wrote in Arabic of 90, over 9,000 biographies, but the, um, the introduction to this 43-volume series, uh, it was shortened and translated into English, and that English translation um, of the introduction is on the Salam Institute table right outside, so after Salah, if you want to take a look at it, it's over there. Uh, next question, how can we do proper tarbiyah of our young children? Yeah, no, this question actually, no doubt all that actually I've been teaching the courses in England, you know, about tarbiyah and how to raise the children. So certainly people should worry about that. Before that, really we should be worried how to, you know, do our tarbiyah. We also need tarbiyah, you know, people, men and women, everybody needs to have their own tarbiyah. But simple thing actually is that, you know, Quranic way of tarbiyah is very, very simple. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the space, this space is there. He wants to use it. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never wants actually, he gave you the space, you don't use it. You know, in Surah Rahman, you can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that, you know, he gave the people this earth, fruits, flowers, you know, precious stones, every single thing. Means you can use them. So this life has got, you know, so much enjoyment you can enjoy. But what Allah wants really, don't just be content with enjoyment. He gave you the food. He wants you to eat food. You have food, you eat food. He has given you so many things, he wants to use them. But he said once you use them, make also effort to be good. So I always teach people actually, if you want to learn the summary of the tarbiyah and how to raise your children, if you want to know summary, it is only two sentences. One sentence is, make your family and your children happy. The first sentence, make them happy. Second sentence is, make them good. That's what Allah wants really. Use the life, make yourself happy, make your family happy, make your children happy, but that's not enough. If you just do that, then it is kufr. That's what unbelievers do. But if you do second part, then you become believers. Make your family happy, but also make effort to make them good. Your children, you know, buy things for them, you know, make effort, you know, give them uh, things what they need. But at the same time, your intention should be how I can make them good. And to make them good, you have to plan and think really. And one important for Muslims really is that our children, before they grow up, they must learn the book of the guidance. If they don't know the book of the guidance, then they never can be good. And that book actually is in Arabic language. When you're teaching your, your, your children, they go for secular education. You should make arrangement part-time or in the weekend. They learn Arabic language. Then after that, they learn Quran. Then the Sunnah, this will be the best foundation for them to become good. Without the knowledge, nobody can become good. So anyway, the summary of the matter is, if you want to raise your children according to Islam, according to Quran and Sunnah, the way is these two sentences. Make them happy and make them good. Next question from brother side.
cycle of it. So you know, when you think about you know, Hadith scholars, you don't think about women. <coughs> you don't think about women much in today, you know, today's age. So uh, when, you know, when was, uh, what was the time when uh, the scholarship of women in Hadith started to go down? Because we don't see them um, in, in our time that much, you know. When did they start to go down? And yeah, you know, I you know the history that Muslims really were, you know, you know, pioneers and really no doubt more advanced. So the question was, uh, when did the female scholarship and female hadith scholarship decline in Muslim society? So if you can see really in the history of Islam, at least nearly 1,000 years, you know, learning, education, you know, scholarship was very strong in Muslim, uh, Muslim countries. And in the big centers of the learning in Egypt, Syria, Iraq, and before that, you know, in Spain, and Central Asia, even India, you know, there have been such a big centers of learning. But nearly last 400 years, it is actually the time when the knowledge declined, not only among the women, also among the men. You, know, you can see everywhere, the Muslims don't have the same mind. You can see, like, if you look at the philosophy, the biggest people in philosophy have got people like Farabi, Ibn Sina, and then after that, you can see few people like Mullah Sadra and people around there. But after that, there's no big, big people. If you look in the field of the Hadith, you have people like Bukhari, Muslim, and then in the very century, people like Taymiyyah, then in India, you got Waliullah Dehlavi, after that, they declined. If you look, look in the fiqh, same thing happened. So scholarship actually did not only decline among the women, decline among the men as well. But the decline of the scholarship among the women was more. So this question really keeps coming all the time. And one of the reasons, actually, I've studied it, I realized that uh, women in the history of the mankind always have been oppressed, always have been considered inferior, and they always have been stopped really from you know, playing their role in the society. The space has been taken away from the women all the time, not only in Islam, before Islam, in all the societies, women never have been given proper space to live in this world. They existed in the world, but they were not treated as to have mind and heart. You can see, if you look at the Christianity, you don't find any learned women. If you do look in the history of the Greek philosophy, you can find among I mean, Greek philosophers people like big, big people, like you know, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, so many people, but no single woman. In every culture, every civilization, women always have been oppressed. They never have been helped. This is all the time. The only time when women really got proper places when prophets and messengers come. When the Prophet Muhammad came, he is actually a man who raised the place of the women and he made sure that women learn the same as the men learn. When he died, he left behind an ummah where men used to teach Quran and women also used to teach Quran. Where men used to give fatwa, women also give fatwa. So he actually made sure that women learn the same as the men. So whenever teaching of the Prophet was stronger, the society, women used to learn. But whenever philosophy became stronger, then, the, then women have been oppressed. Because philosophers used to believe women are not meant to learn, they are inferior. You know, Aristotle is such a great man, and I, you know, I like, I appreciate his effort very much. But he used to think women are inferior. Women are not met, meant to seek any knowledge. And he used to make an argument, so why women are so inferior? He also used to say, women are inferior, you know, they can't get knowledge. And you, one proof of that is that women have got, you know, less teeth than the men. That's what he wrote down. Women, you know, compared to the men, women have got less teeth. The people who write the history of the philosophy sciences, they say uh, such a great man, and he had two wives. 
Aristotle has got two wives. They say if he, he could have counted their teeth, he could see that women have same number of teeth as the men. But he did not bother. Just make anything about the women, nobody cares. He also has written that when a child is born, women don't play any role in the birth of the child. It only men play. Women are only vessels and containers. So I have seen in my book, I have been analyzed that all the women who are learned in, in, you know, uh, in the history, they belong to the family of the muhaddithin, fuqaha, from any sect, Shia, Sunni, any. I did not find any learned women in the family of philosophers. Philosophers never encourage women to learn. They used to think women are not meant to be learned. So in Islam, whenever philosophy became stronger in the curriculum, women have been left behind. I'll give you another example. Among the philosophers in Islam is Imam Ghazali, he's a great man, faqih and all those things, but not a muhaddid. He's a philosopher. And Greek philosophy certainly made great impact on Imam Ghazali. He wrote a book uh, where he advised the kings, how kings should run the kingdom. So in the book he said, never consult women. Never, never consult women. That Imam Ghazali write in this book. And then he said, and if you have to consult the women, then do opposite of what they say. Is it teaching of the Prophet The Prophet actually consulted his wife and he did what they said. Now Imam Ghazali is teaching you, the first thing he teaches, don't consult the women. But if you happen to consult to them, consult them, then do opposite of what they say. And then he said in the same book, in the sum, any problem that happens in the world, it all comes because of women. This actually, if you look at this way about the women, certainly people will not allow the women to learn. So I've seen in my book, whenever philosophy becomes stronger, then decline came in the, uh, for the women. Whenever hadith came, then again women have been encouraged to learn. Same in India. In India, for a long time, women were deprived of knowledge. Then Walibullah Dehlvi comes to Hijaz, learns hadith, comes back, he encourages women to learn and study. Because prophets are only people who really are not biased against the women. Everybody, philosophers, scientists, all these people, they have been always biased against the women. So this actually what I got uh, in, in my, you know, decline came when philosophy became a strong part of the madrasa curriculum. That is the time when women have been deprived of the knowledge and learning. Next question, uh, sisters. Any brothers have questions? My question is about the technology and uh, the whatever the in the modern era. We get so many messages on the internet and WhatsApp about the hadith without authentication. Authentication that is being shared to so many people. So there are so many hadiths we get every day that Prophet said without any authentication, and people share without any authentication. So what do you suggest on that? People keep sending on WhatsApp every day hadith without the source and without saying if it's sahih or da'if or whatever. So what, how do you deal with that problem of sending hadith without any verification? People keep sending on WhatsApp hadith, but they give the hadith with no source. Yeah. So what, what the question is? In text messages, they keep sending it, but there's no source. So we don't know if it's fabricated, if it's sahih. So what do you advise the people in regards to that? 
you know, the simple thing actually, we, that actually I think that we don't actually have knowledge. You know what knowledge means really? Knowledge always have this very clear meaning. You know, knowledge actually is not that you do know how to do Udu. That's not knowledge. People think I know how to do Udu, so I've got knowledge. People think actually I know how to pray, so I, I have got knowledge. People have no idea what knowledge means. Really. Many, many people. People fast in the month of Ramadan, and they think I know how to fast. This is not the knowledge. Knowledge never can be knowledge unless you have got two important things for the knowledge. First thing is the source of the knowledge. If you don't know the source of the knowledge, it is no more in knowledge. The knowledge and ignorance both are the same thing. If you learn something, but you don't know what is the evidence and what the source, it is no more in knowledge. The first thing is for every knowledge, to make knowledge, you need to know the source. If you say, if you know really the prophet says something, but you don't know the source, whether it's authentic or not, it is not knowledge. You never can trust in it. Unless you know, verify your source, knowledge, it never, never knowledge. Knowledge always needs two things in order to become knowledge. If people don't know the source of the knowledge, it is not knowledge. That knowledge and ignorance both are the same thing. If you somebody sends you hadith without the source, that hadith is not a knowledge. People without the source know hadith is knowledge. So first thing you need to learn for every single message, what is the source. Second thing is you need to know what will be impact. When if I follow this thing, what will happen to me? If you learn these two things, where the knowledge comes from and where it is going to lead to me, if you know these two answers, then you get the knowledge. If you learn the Odu, and you learn really what the source of Odu, what actually, where you learn Odu from, from Quranic verses, from the Sunnah, then you also learn when I do Odu, what happens to me. If you know these two answers, then you know Odu. But most people, they only learn how to do Odu. They never learn what is the source. And they never learn really, if I do Odu, what will happen to me. Many people learn how to pray, but they never learn what is the source of this, this prayer. When I do uh, takbir, when I say fatiha, what is the evidence for that? They never learn. And they never learn when I pray what will happen to me. This is not a knowledge. Knowledge always needs two conditions, whether religious knowledge or secular knowledge. First condition is where the knowledge comes from. Second condition is where the knowledge will lead me to. If you don't know the answer of these two questions, then you don't know. Then the knowledge and ignorance both are exactly the same thing. There's no difference between both of them. Um, sisters, last question for the night. Okay, inshallah, we'll end the program. Uh, thank you all for coming, and please stop by at Sheikh's uh, table outside to learn more about his institute. Mm -hmm.